0: your phone app find your way to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22 and then also 1 John 4 that we just read. We're going to start in Genesis. I want to talk to you today about when love came down. Um, Last Sunday my wife and I were not here we were enjoying our christmas gift to each other and that was we went away for a weekend to a, a marriage weekend called weekend to remember have you all ever heard of this You probably might have heard on a radio called weekend to remember they're doing one in may in atlanta and i don't care if you just got married or been married forever you need to go to one of these it's extremely well done um, uh, we went to this in south carolina um, and had a wonderful time, my wife was reminded how much she loves me and what a great guy I am, so that was good, all true, Uh, but we had a wonderful time, and in a way, it was such a good reminder, and it was a little bit shocking, the things that you let slide after 33 years being married. And the whole theme of that weekend is oneness, and that if you're not continually moving towards oneness, you're heading in the opposite direction towards isolation. True or false? That is true in your marriage. but, But I want to say to you today, unequivocally, that's also true in your relationship with God. You are either moving towards oneness or, listen to me, you are drifting towards isolation. And here's the thing, God never moves. Someone said to me one time, Pastor, I feel so far from God. I say, he's right where you left him god's consistent and he doesn't change but here's what does change words change words themselves change over the years when i was a young fella um, the age of my son jack who's in here somewhere i think jack's seven there you go um, there was no such word commonly used called laptop laptop was the top of my grandfather's lap where we sat right There was no such word as laptop. Now when I say laptop, you think what? Computer. Words change. But also words that have been around forever, their meanings change. How many of you know that's true? Um, And uh, there's probably some words you can think of right now that the meanings have changed. One of those words that the meaning has been stripped of its power and rendered fuzzy and ambiguous is this word love. Love has become so undefined because it's been overdefined and then refined. It's turned into something that we can't, we don't even really know what it is anymore. And it's as if we've taken this word love and thrown it into the junk drawer in our kitchen because there's no other place to put it. Um, and we have uh, symbols out there today. One of the popular ones going around today: "Love is love." Well, undefined love is undefined love. What does that actually mean at the end of the day? So it is important that we recapture the meaning of this word and that we not allow ourselves to lose the awe, the weight, and the consequences. Because some of you know words have consequences? They do. Words have consequences. And, and this word love is definitely one of those words that has those consequences. The advent of the Christ, the Messiah King, is what any Jewish ear would have heard. When they heard the word Christ, they didn't think of it as Jesus' last name like we do. When a Jew in the first century heard the word Christ, they immediately thought Messiah King, the chosen king. And the advent of this chosen king um, is how God made this word love actually visible. He gave us a living definition of the word love in the person of jesus christ and then he defined what love does through the actions of this person his only son jesus through his death resurrection and ascension god has expanded and exported true love around the globe through his son and through people like you and i so this morning we're going to take a look at one word Uh, one word and only one word and it's introduced for the first time in holy scripture in genesis chapter 22 and we're going to examine the context of this word and then in response we will extol the great worth kindness and glory of our god as we come to understand this word this morning Now, before I do that, and as you're turning to Genesis 22, it'll be on the screen as well, I want to talk to you about something called the Law of First Mention. Anyone ever heard of the Law of First Mention? It's this idea that um, it simply means that the very first time any important word or term is mentioned in the Bible, which usually is Genesis, right? First book of the Bible. Um, It gives us that word in its most complete an accurate meaning to not only serve as a key in understanding the words biblical concept but also to provide a foundation for its fuller development in other parts of the bible in other words the first time a specific or certain word shows up in genesis normally in genesis the first time we see it in the recorded history of the bible it's called the law of first mention and it lays the contextual foundation upon which the rest of the bible is going to build on that word and as you can imagine there are a number of words matter of fact in this text this morning there are three words that show up for the first time I'm only going to deal with the first one today so in that first word you can probably imagine what do you think that word is yeah that's our theme today it's it's the word love and it's found in verse 2 but let's begin at verse 1 Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1 and here's what the scripture says and now it came to pass After these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. By the way, that's a great response when God calls your name. Here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, and notice this in your scriptures, whom you what? love. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. First time the word love shows up in Scripture. But look, it it gets bad from here. (laughs) And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. And took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. And then on what day, church? The third day. That's always significant. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I. We'll go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. By the way, that's the first time worship shows up in the Bible. Powerful concept. Inextricably attached to the word love. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and don't miss this, and look what he does, and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went on together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Y'all feeling this text? And Abraham said, My son, God, will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. you seeing this in your mind? Can you imagine? But The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns, So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That's that's an amazing piece of history, isn't it? Especially when you understand this law of first mention. What a crazy it's not a story, it's actual history. The little bit of background on this guy, Abraham, his, father, his name is actually Abram, um, and God changed his name to Abraham, which, which means the father of many. In our, in our vernacular, we would call him Big Daddy. The problem was the guy had no kids and couldn't have kids. Him and his wife had no children. And yet he's got this name given by God of big daddy with no kids. How's that going to work out? Right? So Abraham took matters into his own hands through the advice of his wife. And he had a baby with his wife's servant. His name was Ishmael. And he figured that's, this must be how God is going to do it. How many of you know whenever we try to help God out, things don't go so well? And that's what Abraham found out. No, God intended to give him a son through his wife, Sarah, who was well past childbearing years. And long story short, that's exactly what happened. Ishmael uh, and his mom were, were, were uh, basically fired <laughs> and put outside of the family, yet God protected him because of Abraham. And he has this boy. And his name is Isaac. And, and anyone know what the word na- Isaac means? Means laughter, and the reason he's named Isaac is actually people always, always blame it on Sarah. But here's the truth of the matter: Abraham laughed first. Nobody gets that. Go back and look before the first time that God told him this was going to happen. Abraham laughs, and then when God comes back and says, "Okay, it's about time. This is this is going to happen," Sarah is in the tent. She can hear everything, and she's laughing to herself. And so that the uh, God tells Abraham, Here's the deal. When this kid is born, you're going to name him, ready for this, Laughter. Because you both laughed. <laughs> and you both doubted that I could do what I said I was going to do. So you're going to name this kid Laughter. Well, he didn't. That, how many of you know that names matter? You know that names matter? And as a result, this boy became a joy to his parents. He really. And, and, and Isaac's life was so different than abraham's or his son jacob's life jacob's life's a disaster it's it's one stumbling after another one one mess after another but isaac just seems to kind of coast through life. He's, he, he is just he is a joy of a person his father adored him and god told abraham through this young man i'm going to make all my promises come true to you well that's the background of this story now here's what's interesting this word love in the law of first mention shows up in verse number two. I think that will come up there. And he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you, what church? Love. love. Now it's interesting. I don't know if you've got your own Bible. In my Bible, if you've got, you got a good, uh, honest translation, um, they're always going to put in italics words that are added for you to understand. It makes more sense to read it in English. And you'll notice that there, that word in verse number two, there's two italics in there. It says, Take now your son, your only, and then that word son is in italics. Literally, what God says, Your only Isaac, your only laughter, the only joy of your life, your greatest joy, that, that son of promise, that one that you're just crazy about. Take that boy, go to Moriah, I'm going to point the place out, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Merry Christmas, right? What, what, you say, Pastor, what a, what a terrible text to use on Christmas Sunday. Well, I think the context of this is important. Because remember the law of first mention, the first time a word shows up in a scripture, it lays the contextual foundation for the term uh, for the rest of the time in scripture. It builds off of it. Notice the contextual foundation of this word love. It is not, I figured it would have showed up in Genesis 1 or 2 when God introduces Adam to Eve, right? Hello? Nope, it's not the love of a husband for a wife or a wife for a husband. You can see the context of that is the love of a father for a one and only unique son. You all see that? That's the context, the law of first mention for this word love. Is this all starting to ring a bell to you? John 3.16 might be being played over in your mind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only Isaac, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You see it? The symbolism is not to be missed here, but you cannot deny that the context of this word love, the foundational context is the love of a father for a one and only unique son. Now, I have five sons. God's blessed my wife and I with five sons and three daughters. And uh, I often remind my sons, I have more of you. I used to tell him I could make more of you, but that door is closed. <laughs> you better watch your step. I got, I got more of you. I've got spares. Abraham had no spare. It was his only Isaac. It was his joy. It was, it was his boy. And, Wes, I can't help but think about um, a statement I've heard you made more than once in our conversations. And, and he's a little bit, Wes a little bit crazy about his boy Judah. And he was telling me one time when he had to get in after Judah and discipline him. Uh, what was that you tell your boy? Daddy? Daddy don't like it? I don't like to spank my boy. And, and now when Judah's done something, he knows he's going to get it. He'll remind me, he'll say, now, Daddy, remember, you don't like to spank your boy. <laughs> and you know what? A good daddy don't like to spank his boy. It breaks your heart. Now, when I was a young dad, I used to tell my first children... This is gonna hurt you more than it hurts me because if it hurts me more than it hurts you, I am not doing my job. Now I could tell you as an old dad of a seven, that seven-year-old boy back there, when my wife said, honey, it's time, you need to go take him into the bedroom and have that father-son fellowship. I'm crying before I hit the door in my bedroom. It breaks my heart. And I can't give a decent discipline for nothing anymore. i matter fact, my son Zach was home for Christmas one time, and this was years ago, and Old Jack had done something. I think he hit Emma. And so Zach snatched him up and brought him to me and said, Tell dad what you did. And Jack told me. He said, I hit Emma. So we talked about why you did that and is that a nice thing to do? No. Is that loving your sister? No. And I looked at I cupped his little face in my hand and I said, Now Jack, you need to not ever do that again. You need to go tell Emma you're sorry. And don't ever do that again. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. And he went off. And my older son looked at, put his hand in the heaven, looked at me, and he said, You ain't a father. You're a grandfather raising children is what you are. <laughs> I lost my father card that day. And I, really, I do. You become a little more tender as you get a little bit older, especially when you have a one and only son. Um, that's a big deal. And in this context of this love for a one and only son does this word love come up. And we see what's happened here. And it's so such a picture of what Jesus did for us, isn't it? Even down to the wood that the boy carries on his back and the fact that the father has the knife and the fire, the items, the, the instruments of judgment, which God the father controlled through the cross and spikes and Jesus bore that cross, carried it just like Isaac up that hill. As a matter of fact, some um, theologians and, 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 and uh, such tell us that that very place where Abraham built that altar to sacrifice his son is what we know today as Mount Calvary or Golgotha, where Jesus would literally die for the sins of all who would put their faith in him and turn from sin. Isn't that amazing? And what is the ram, which pictures Christ? His, his, he's got his horns, which is always a symbol of power, and they're caught in a thicket. What is a thicket? It's a crown of thorns. Do you see that? Don't miss the symbolism there. And that causes us to flee to the New Testament. And as we look at that this morning, I want to show you, I want to unpack for just a few minutes this word love. And what God is doing here, we see love made visible in the coming of Jesus as the Messiah, the King of all of creation. And we see this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-11. through 11. It's interesting in this text, I counted it up. In five verses, the word love is used 11 times. And I had to cut it off at verse 11, but go read the whole rest of the chapter. This, we call 1 Corinthians 13 a love chapter. Really, 1 John 4 is. That word love is all over it. But I stopped at verse 11, but just from verse 7-11, to 11, Uh, 11 times this word love shows up. Let's look at it together. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So that's kind of the big statement up front. Right? He who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is what, church? Love. Love. God is love. (laughs) And now he's going to define it. In this The love of God was manifested, in other words, demonstrated or or shows up toward us. Here's how God shows his love towards us. That God sent his only begotten son, think only your only Isaac, your only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this, in this action of sending the Christ, the Messiah, the King, in this is love, not that we love God, but what? But that He loved us. So in other words, we didn't love God first. He loved us first. And that He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I bet you didn't use that word in a sentence this week, did you? We're going to talk about that in a second. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to. We also ought to love one another. Let me give you some observations on this text. Remembering that the rest of Scripture is building off the context of the love of a father for a one and only unique son of promise. That's not a mistake. And now we fast forward almost to the end of Scripture. And we see love revisited. Almost the law of last mention, if you will. And it ties a contextual bow all the way back to Genesis 22 and verse 2. The first thing I want you to notice back in verse number 1, or verse number 7, says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God. Here's the first thing. Love is impossible without God. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Love is... Aubrey and Sandy are getting married today. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, they, they, they're not in the youth group anymore. They, they, left the, they graduated last week, and now they're getting married. But, but I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I meet with young people who are getting married, and I ask them the question, do you love each other? Oh, yeah, we're, we crazy love each other. Really. And then I, I, I kind of push them out. Why, why do you love her? And I want to find out what is their definition of love. And then I have some hard truth to lay on them. I tell them at the end of that whole session, I say, now here's the reality. I don't know that you so much love each other, but you love the idea of loving somebody. Because our problem is we love one person more than any other. You know who that is? Us. The person you're looking at in the mirror. I I quit lying about that a long time ago. My wife will tell you, I love me some me. All right, the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I, we are madly in love with each other, right? And the problem is that's a bad thing. When good things become God things, they become bad things, amen? Uh, he, very few people really understand what love is, even the purpose of a marriage. The whole purpose of getting married is so that you can, you can demonstrate God's love for His people through this oneness in marriage and actually produce offspring which is what we're supposed to do, reproduce ourselves and expand the kingdom of God. Marriage is nothing but a picture of the reality of God's love for His people and what should naturally happen as a result. And here's the reality. I've learned this after 33 years of marriage. Love is impossible without God. Beloved, let us love one another. Yeah, right. If you read that the right way, you should be discouraged. You should read that and say, ain't happening. (laughs) How many of you know on your best day you stink at really loving people the way God wants you to love them? How many of you know you can't even do it because you love yourself too much? I know that's true of me. So the first thing I know is that without God, this true agape kind of love, that, that, and, and let me define that real quickly, it, it is a love that, that the best interest of the other comes first. That I put my wife's interest before my own. Now, she will tell you, and she would not be lying, over the past, I don't know how long, number of years, I have become a bit of a Scrooge. Is that true, honey? (laughs) When it comes to Christmas, I know it's terrible. I think I'm just getting old, tired, and cranky. I used to put up, I used to, man, couldn't wait for Christmas to come and get the tree down. I'd be the one fluffing the tree and putting lights on back in the day. Not anymore. Matter of fact, I, I, I think I'd be all right if that tree never came out of the attic. I know, I know, y'all looking horrified. Um, and, and Beth had a, a party for the church ladies. Was that Thursday, honey? And I just came off this marriage weekend, so I remember I, there's some stuff I got to be working on. And Mike, so I texted her and I said, hey, baby, is there, is there anything else you would like done for the um, party tonight? Now, i got a neighbor across the street, and I have a love-hate relationship with him. But this guy is like, you've seen the movie Elf? That's him. His house is so decorated, I figure I don't even need to decorate mine on the outside. His is good enough for both of us. I mean, he and not just Christmas, Halloween, Thanksgiving, you name it, this guy's got something up in his yard. And I always tell him, Scott, you're killing me. Uh, so I tell you, anything you'd like done. She goes, I sure like some lights on the house and so not to be the only dark house on the street. And I text it back, anything else you'd like to have done. <laughs> but we got lights up. Now, and I'm not saying that I did that with all the right attitude, but I got it done. Why? Because that demonstrates love to her. And I, and I tell my boys all the time and my kids, I say, look, if you see anything good coming out of your dad, anything at all, that's a good thing, you know one thing that's coming from God because I don't have that in me that, that lights putting the lights up on the house and, and the Christmas tree and the flower garden and all that stuff that was all God because Paul would rather be at his office reading than putting up Christmas lights right but God loves that woman right there he really does and he's called me to love her he wants to love her through me and that means putting my books up going home and putting up Christmas lights with a good attitude. And they look good. Thank you. They look better in the dark (laughs) than in the light. But yes, right? So the first thing is that love is impossible without God. Why do we know that? Because it's the second thing. God is the source of love. That's the second observation. Look what it says. Let us love one another, for love is of God. Right? It's of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God. What is that telling me? God is the source of love. And the only way, the only hope that I have to love that woman, the way God calls me to love her, right in the beginning of that verse, beloved, you all love each other. By the way, when you're dealing with your kids and they're being nasty to each other, there's only one thing you need to ask. Is that loving? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? No. Then we've broken some commands of God, and this is a serious thing. We've got to figure out how to get that right. And the talk you need to have with them is not do better, be better. The talk you need to have with them is you can't love. You have no ability to love your, your sibling. You need God to love them through you. You need to have a relationship with God. And that, that comes by turning away from your sin and accepting the gift of Jesus Christ on that cross at Calvary in your place. We need to parent our children with the gospel. God is the source of love. He thought it up. God, it's, not only is it God's idea, look at the next one, God is love. God is love. <clears throat> look what it says. If you don't love, you're, you, if you're not loving, he who does not love does not know God. Why? He said because God is love. Did you see that? Now be careful. You need to define love the way God defines it. He doesn't give you the option of defining it some way else. That word is called agape. And it is a love that is self-sacrificing that looks out for the benefit of the other person, even if it costs you everything. That's the kind of love. What we have today, what we tend to do, is we define God's love with our own definitions. And there's a word for that. It's called sloppy agape. That's what we're full of in the church. It's this sentimentalism. It's that, oh, God just loves everybody. And you can just live like you want to and nothing of that really matters because God's this old, like me, an old grandfather in the sky that just overlooks everything. That's not at all what God means when it says that God is love. Not at all. We would be very, very foolish to embrace that. Here's the next thing. Love manifested or showed up with skin on in Jesus, the Messiah King. Look at this next verse. In this, the love of God was manifested or showed up towards us That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. Did you see that? He wrote Himself into history through Jesus Christ. By the way, did you know there is more actual literary documented proof that Jesus Christ of Nazareth existed than that George Washington existed? Did you know that? There is more literal, literary documented proof that Jesus of Nazareth walked this earth than there is that George Washington did. So that's a place you can take your doubts. Jesus was real. And love showed up with skin on, became a human being. I love it. He literally put on flesh just like you put on a jacket. He, was, he wrapped himself in human flesh. The implications of that are many. But love showed up towards us. Here's how God did it. He sent his only Isaac. His one and only Jesus But notice this. Here's the next observation. Life is only in Christ exclusively. He was manifest toward us that God sent his only begotten Son into the world. Now, don't miss this phrase. That we might live through him. And I just want to say this and move on, but I'm going to be super honest with you. Outside of Christ, you exist, but you do not live. I want to say that again. Outside of Christ, you might exist, but you do not live. You have never tasted true eternal life. That's only in Jesus, that's only through Christ. All right? That's when you begin to live, that's when life takes on meaning is when we are in Christ. Now, I'm not saying that people outside of Christ, and there's probably a lot of people in this room that are outside of Christ this morning. I would, I would have no doubt, and that would not surprise me. But here's the reality. He said, well, I love, I experience love. I love my wife, and, and I love my grandkids. I love my kids. I love this. I love that. Yeah, we all, expe- the whole world experiences common grace, the common grace of God. That's God being kind. Because if you're outside of Christ, this life's existence is the only heaven you're ever going to know. That's it. That's all the heaven you got coming to you. When you're in Christ, this life's existence is the only hell you're ever going to know because the rest is heaven. (laughs) Amen? That's some good news right there if you're in Christ. If you're a part of the kingdom of light and you leave the kingdom of darkness, life is only exclusively in Christ. Here's the next one. Love is defined by initiative. Look what the Word says in verse number 10. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. How many of your kids have ever said to you, He started it? You ever heard that as parent? Well, He started it, right? Well, here's the thing. God started it. You did not love God. Every single, as beautiful as that gorgeous little Kate is out there, she does not come out of the womb loving God. That's something that God's got to do into and through Kate. Amen? Right? And God will do that by His grace, putting her in a family that loves God and who will parent her according to the gospel. You are not born loving God. Listen to me. You're born loving you. And if you don't believe it, come take care of Kate for a night. You'll figure that out. Amen? I a friend of mine say, a psychologist friend of mine say, uh, Dr. Bill Gillum, he said, when, when a baby's born, he draws a circle around himself and he becomes Lord of that ring. And everything in the world is designed to serve that ring because he's the Lord. And that's what we are. John Calvin said the human heart is nothing but a, an idol factory. And we produce idols of all manner and form. And we bow down to them, but ultimately at the end of the day, we are God and everything else should bow to us. He said, I don't know if that's really true. The last person that ticked you off or hurt you or offended you, tell me this then. Have you not dreamed up whole scenarios, whole feature-length movies of how they're going to come, hands and knees, kiss your big toe, and say, "I'm so wrong, you're so right. Please forgive me and find uh, find find a way to let me back in your life." How many of us run those scenarios? I've won Emmy awards for some of those or Oscars for some of those scenarios I've dreamt up in my mind because I love me some me, myself, and I. And so do you. But love is defined by initiative. God loved us when we when we hated Him. He loved us first. He started it. Here's the next one. Is that love gives. I put it this way, that sacrifice is love's native tongue. Not only did he do this, look what he says, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Love gives. Someone once wisely said, you can give without loving. How many of you got your... uh, little notice in the mail from Macon Water Authority this week. Yeah? yeah? About some runoff baloney. Yeah, no new taxes, but we're just going to call them fees instead. Right? And then for a church like this, they go buy your parking lot space. We're talking about hundreds of extra dollars in our budget next year for that. And we're going to give it, but we ain't going to love it. You, you can't, yeah. You can give without loving, but, oh, beloved, let me tell you something. You cannot love without giving because love's native language is giving sacrificially. For God so loved that he, what, church? Gave his only Isaac, his only son. Now, that word propitiation is a problematic word. It literally means to satisfy wrath. 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 There's, a, there's another word you probably didn't use this week. The word wrath, right? How many of you know that God's righteous stance against sin is wrath? If it, if it wasn't, God wouldn't be God. He would not be righteous. God hates sin. And He's angry with sin. The Bible says every day and all day long. And He sends His Son, His only Son, To propitiate, to satisfy His righteous, holy anger against sin. I'm gonna put a pin in that for a second because I I wanna look, I want you to understand something. And I'm gonna show you it's true. How many of your mamas out there? Mamas got babies? And no matter if they're old babies like me, my mom's sitting right there. Listen to this statement. You should write this down. The more you love, the more capable of wrath you are. The more you love, the more capable of wrath you are. Wes, if that little seizure that that fellow had the other night scared you to death, if that was something physical you could grab a hold of, what would you have done to it? You would have destroyed that. If it, only it was physical, you'd get your hands on it. You would, in your wrath, destroy that, that dared to touch the love of your life. The more you love, the more capable of wrath you are. How many of you mamas out there, if someone someone goes to to horribly harm your child, what would you not do to to prevent that? There is nothing in the world more scary than a mother protecting her babies. The more you love, the more propensity and and ability towards wrath you're going to have. And yet, when it comes to God, we think that should be different. Well, no, that's not God, because God is love. Oh, beloved, let me tell you something. Because God is love, wrath shows that His wrath is as real as His love. And, it's as, much, it, and as much as He loves is as much as He hates and, and is angry towards sin. If you attack the wrath of God, listen, you undermine the love of God. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just carrying the water this morning. But we've heard, you say, but preacher, I've heard all my life in church that, that, that God hates the sin and what? Loves the sinner. Great thought. It's not in here. That got made up by some Sunday school teacher or some preacher that wanted to make God seem better so you would, you would bite on the bait. It is not my job to make God attractive to you. My, God is to t- my job is to tell the truth and let God draw you to himself. And here's the truth: God not only hates sin, He hates sinners. Amen. He said, "Oh, pastor, that's so rough. Why would you say that?" Because God says that. Jot it down: Psalm five, verses five to six. Psalm chapter five, verses five to six. It'll come up there. Here we go. Here's what. Now I'm gonna say this is God's word: The boastful shall not stand in your sight. Now check this out. Underline it in your own Bible. You talking to God? Hate how many church? What's that say? All workers of iniquity. Next verse. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors, that means hates, the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. That does not say God loves the sinner but hates the sin. God does not separate that. And that's why when you come to Christ, the term sinner no longer applies to you. You're called a saint and you should live like one. That's what the word says. Did you know, this, this will blow your mind, did you know that in the first 50 chapters of the book of Psalms, the first 50 chapters, over 14 times it says that God hates sinners and sin alike. So that came from someone trying to protect God's image. That's not my job. My job is to let him out of the cage and you to do business with him this morning. That's my job. There is no such thing as separating sin from sinner. Except, through the cross of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about wrath? You want to know what God's wrath looks like? Look at the brutality of the cross and the reality of hell and you'll get it. The cross was brutal. Absolutely brutal. And yet Jesus went there willingly in obedience and deference to his Father to be the propitiation. That means complete satisfaction. Complete Satisfaction. Mick Jagger said he could get no propitiation. He could get no satisfaction. And I'm going to tell you something. Neither can God if you and I try to come to him by something that we've done. The only thing that satisfies God is what his beloved only Isaac has done in the place of someone like you and the place of someone like me. That the wrath of God might be appeased every single drop of it. And Jesus didn't just die for good people. (laughs) because here's the reality there are no good people I'm not good you're not good nobody's good there's only one good and that's Jesus he died for sinners of whom I was chief amen he says God demonstrated his love in this way that while we were still here was our title sinners literally the enemies of God Christ died for us how many of you would die for your enemy today Better yet, how many of you would give one of your children, give their life for one of your enemies? Probably not going to happen, is it? That's exactly what God did by sending his only Isaac, his only son, to die in your place. We were, his, we were not okay, and we were not his friends. We hated God. and We proved it every day by worshiping and living for self, and not given a flip about who God was and what He cared about. And some of us are still in that place today. But oh, let me tell you, even in that condition, how crazy is this? You talk about love. He sends His Son to die for people just like that. Doesn't make sense. It's called the gospel. But our thin definition of love makes us unhelpful, brothers and sisters, If we have this thin definition of love, we're no good for each other. We don't even love each other enough to confront each other when we're walking the wrong way. I'm almost done. I'll go back to you moms. I saw this the other day. Scared me to death. I'm not even a mom. Well, what's worse than a mom is a grandmom or grandparent. And I was was at the house. I was on the porch. And um, I heard a noise behind my truck, which was parked at the end of our driveway. And here's... um, Myra and Joseph, right next to the road. And people come, we live on a curb, and people come flying up that curb. And I think a ball went into the road, and there there went one of them. I forget which one. And I could hear a car hitting that curb. Right? My, My pulse is racing right now just thinking about that. Man, I'm telling you what, whatever it took to get that kid out of that road and out of harm's way, I was willing to do. And I didn't care what he thought about it. I didn't care, because he mattered more than what he could not understand. And the fact that they call me Jaju, which is grandpa in Polish, the fact that Jaju snatched him up harshly, um, snatched him up right out of his shoes, he didn't like that, but he didn't understand The alternative. And I want to tell you today, what we don't need is this sloppy, agape sentimentalism that we don't love each other enough to confront each other with the truth. That's not how God does us. And we need to do better with each other. We need to embrace this love. Here's the question. What have you done with it? This love of God. Have you repented? to turn away from your sin? And have you believed to put your trust in what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross? He died, was buried, and three days later was risen back to life. Forty days after that, he was in the presence of the Father, ascended. And right now he's there as your defense attorney. And that great, he's never lost a case if you turned away from your sin if you, and, and has it resulted in you loving what God loves and hating what God hates and that when you do sin and, and we do occasionally blow it no one more than this guy when you do sin it breaks your heart because it break, what breaks his heart breaks yours are you connected and are you moving towards oneness or have you drifted into isolation from God you say, Pastor, what must I do to be saved? I must call upon the name of the Lord. You must admit you've got a sin problem you can't fix, and he sent a sinless son to die in your place, was buried, resurrected three days later, and is now seated at his right hand to do nothing but defend you. And as a result of that, you will, hear me, you will follow him. You will obey him. You will worship him for the rest of your life, and you will do it joyfully. The only time that joy will not be there is when you sin, and the lack of joy will motivate you and re-embrace what God did for you through Christ, and you get it right. When love came down, my question is, has it come to you? Has it come to you? I'm going to pray. And as I do, I want to encourage you to ponder the truth of these words today. And as I'm praying, our music team's going to come, and we're going to stand and sing a song. But as we do that in a minute, I want you to ask yourself, have I I really turned away from my sin? And have I really trusted in what Christ has done for me? And am I following Him? And do I hate it when I mess up, not because I got caught, but because I just messed up, and that's not me anymore? And if that's not you, I want to encourage you to just take some time as we're singing and praying and talk to God yourself and tell him, I know I've blown it, and I can't fix me, and I'm done with it. And I want to receive Jesus Christ as my king, as my owner, as my master, as my Lord. And I want to follow him the rest of my life. And I want to spend the rest of my life loving, really loving, your definition of love, the people you put in my life to do so. That's the most important thing you can do today.